gave us a lot of opportunities to understand who is entering into the playoff picture and which teams are firmly ejecting from the national narrative. Along with Garrett Turney and Trey Reeves, I'm Mitch Mason welcoming you to another edition of the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. Fellas, interesting Interesting game, interesting day, interesting week. Uh, there are games still going on as we're recording this, thanks to Hurricane Ian. Um, gosh, so many national storylines that we've got to condense down into a post-game recap, post-week recap. Before we really get into all the nitty-gritty, I want to know, first of all, what what do you guys take away from a week yesterday where there is just chaos from stem to stern. I mean, every single window had some sort of upset, some sort of drunk college football apparatus going on. <laughs> Garrett, Garrett, when you're watching a game day like that, and you can flip around the channel and just go, really? Just about to every single game you're watching, what what do you take away from that? Like, wh- where are we in week five of the college football season? Uh, well, I got to get my map out because I don't know where we are. Okay, there's so many confusing... Uh, outcomes at this point. I mean, for example, right, I was watching the the TCU-Oklahoma game. We'll talk about this, but it seemed like I would walk out of the room, and when I came back, Max Duggan was just doing a dance in the end zone again. And I was like, again? Really? They actually scored again? And, and mm-hmm. it, it was just so shocking to me that, you know, that there were so many of these crazy outcomes. I'm feeling pretty good about a lot of my picks that I've had on some of these teams. But, uh, yeah, excited to see where the season goes now that we're finally getting a little bit of an idea of who's going to actually run the narrative this year. Yeah, I think, Mitch, your comment of, really? That's that's such a great way to put this week because there were so many times I was just checking a score bug or checking an app or mm-hmm. flipping over to a game, and it was just like, huh, all right, well, that <laughs> might as well happen this week. So I was pumped about this week of college football. There were tons of teams going into this that we said needed to prove where they were at in the pecking order. We got some clarity on that. We also got a lot of wrenches thrown into the fans of the teams that we thought were going to be okay, maybe thought were going to be trending upwards as the season went on. And now we're not so sure. So we'll break all that down. We're excited to get into it. It was an unreal week of college football. I think No Context College Football tweeted something that then I retweeted. And I think from... Teams 15 through 25, only two of them won yesterday. It was just an absolute bludgeoning inside the top 25. Upsets were everywhere. Results that just didn't make sense became the norm yesterday. I mean, heck, guys, we almost had Missouri beat Georgia. Uh, I think Georgia was trailing until four minutes left in that game. That was the first time that Stetson Bennett and and the Dogs took the lead. Um, It it was absolutely wild, and, and I can't wait to get into this. We'll very quickly move through the news. The only news item that we have is that we're going to be releasing a new top 25 
The three tech top 25 will be coming out. We didn't want to do it every single week because everyone does that. And, and let's be honest, um, you're either a hot take artist if you're doing that, or it looks very similar to what the coaches polls and AP top 25 polls put out. And so we didn't want to kind of water it down. We wanted to see a couple weeks of the regular season before offering another uh, one of those up. And for those of you that pointed it out, Clemson will be inside the top 25 this time. That was oh, yeah. a minor oversight. Uh, <laughs> I think as we're getting ready to lead off with Clemson here, they are going to not only be ranked, obviously, but inside that top four, I think we'll, we'll figure out where our, where our consensus rankings get. But good opportunity to remind you guys, head over to our social media, at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. It's uh, the place that you can interact with us the most. We tweet every single day and uh, all day on game days. We also curate some Instagram content for you. We've got some reels that are coming out, basically rapid reactions, uh, reacting to various games around the weekend. I released one on the Washington-UCLA game. I know Trey has one coming on Oklahoma and TCU. I know it's on Twitter. It'll be coming to Instagram very shortly. And then Garrett kind of wrapped up the afternoon slate yesterday. So don't want to miss that. Head on over. If you are new to the podcast, and I can see from our metrics, we have a a lot of new listeners. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. If you would be so kind as to hit the subscribe button, give us a rating. It really helps our numbers. It helps us continue to grow the algorithm to recommend us to other college football fans, which of course is our number one goal that we get to share in this beautiful, beautiful game with listeners like you. So guys, without any further ado, Time to dive into headliners, and we start with our game of the week. Clemson defeats the Wolfpack of NC State 23-13. Trey, I'll kick this one to you. We had questions over whether or not the weather would affect this game. We had questions on whether or not DJ Uyunglele could back up his performance against Wake Forest. While the game plan was certainly different for the Tigers uh, against the Wolfpack than it was a week ago, Clemson equally as impressive in a top-10 matchup. Yeah, we highlighted this going in that Clemson was going to have to prove that they could win a game in multiple different ways in back-to-back weeks. That is a very difficult thing to do if you're not an elite type of team. So Clemson, to me, proved that they are worthy of entering that discussion back into the college football playoff, back into the elites, maybe taking a little bit of heat off of Dabo for the season that he had last year where they took a little bit of a step back. But guys, DJU has just completely silenced the doubters the last couple weeks. He didn't have the video game type numbers that he did last week, but man, I thought considering the context of the type of game that Clemson needed to win that game, the defense that they were going up against that I think is going to be the best defense that they play short of going to the college football playoff. I thought DJU was awesome. He was efficient through the air, made some really nice throws, but he changed the game with his legs. And that's something that's been, really missing from his game ever since we saw him kind of break out in that COVID year. So color me very impressed with DJU, very impressed with the effort for Clemson. The defense is going to steal the headlines, but that offense was sneaky good, even on a night where Will Shipley was kind of contained by NC State. So yeah, hats off to NC State. They got their ground game just absolutely shut down. I think I wrote down they ran for only... 32 yards, 34 yards on 21 carries. And the longest run that Clemson allowed was just eight yards. So containing that ground game that NC State really wanted to establish was key and just kind of snowballed from there. NC State wasn't able to get anything done. Clemson took advantage of opportunities when they were there and DJU pulled out the win. 
Yeah, and I think you have to go ahead and look at this and say that, you know, Clemson is probably at least the fifth best team in the country, but they're probably better. If we're really going to break it down, they're probably better. Obviously, catch our poll to see what we think about that. But, you know, when we started the season, I don't think any of us even had them in the ACC title game, nonetheless, you know, actually making it to the playoff. And now I think I'd personally pick them to go to the playoff. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I think they're you know, probably one of the easier paths at this point in the season to make it there. This defense is about as elite as it gets. They stifled a very good NC State offense. And I don't think DJU is going to get enough credit for this win, despite the fact that he's the quarterback. You know, most times you get the quarterback gets all the praise, all the, you know, criticism. But I don't think he's going to get enough for this. He came out last week. He looked extremely good against Wake. And then he didn't put up the flashy numbers, but he was just as effective. Right, He was just as good. NC State dared him to beat them, and he just found ways to win. Massive props for t- to the Tigers for this one. Sorry for doubting. Uh, but, yeah, big, big, big win for Clemson. Excited to see how this season goes for them now that they can kind of sit back and roll through this ACC schedule. That offense is looking balanced. DJU, he's not committing the turnovers he did a season ago. Will Shipley is a game changer as far as they let him get involved in that game. Now, he was not even the leading rusher for Clemson was uh, yesterday. That was DJU, had 73 yards. But at home, you shut down an opposing offense. You do not let Devin Leary be the game changer through the air that NC State really needs him to be. And, I mean, Trey, you talked about they had no pulse on the running game whatsoever. So to shut down NC State, not allow them – to, to really have any sort of explosive plays. It was a recipe for disaster for the Wolfpack, especially considering that the weather was was perfect last night. They did not have the sloppy conditions that we wondered if they would have, which meant that the entire playbook for both teams was available. And in that case, surprisingly, it favored Clemson. They stopped the, the passing game again. The running game got nothing going. Clemson is not only a top five team. I, I think, Garrett, you're right. I think they're the ACC title favorites by a long shot at this point. Um, no other team really stacks up in the ACC's as far as a complete unit. Um, I, I do think that they've still got some other landmines across across their schedule, and we'll get into those as they come up, but no doubt. I mean, you, you see teams like UNC struggle to play any sort of defense. Miami's a dumpster fire. Um, you know, you, you just don't have that really other complete team. They've gotten through, the, I, I think, the hardest part of their schedule now with Wake and NC State back-to-back. That's that's it. Uh, so now if they can continue to build momentum, roll towards that playoff, Dabo Sweeney is going to be right in the thick of things once again. Well, and they've proven that they can do it back to back, right? That's the point. They went mm-hmm. to two tough games back to back. They kept their focus. It wasn't the same game script like you were saying, Trey. Like they found two different ways to win. Very much one was blow the team out the water, try to, you know, get into a bit of a a scoring match with them. And then the other one is just shut it down. You're not going to do anything against us. And and they won both games. And to me, neither was really in doubt, right? There, There were times when the game got a little closer, the score fell a little closer, but Clemson looked like the better team pretty much at all times during both those games. So, you know, I, I'm excited that, you know, okay, is, are there points during their schedule where they could slip up? Sure, fine. There's some good teams there that on the right day could get them. But they've proven that they can focus. They've proven they can maintain their composure in these spots. And I think now you got to count DJU as an absolute asset for this team. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Asset is a good word. We were questioning a couple weeks ago if we would see Cade Klubnik. I think that's going to be next year. We're going to have to yeah, wait till yeah. next year for Kate Klubnik because DJU is 
absolutely won the locker room, won the coaching staff and won the fan base over. So, and good for him yeah. too. Good for him. Yeah. It seems yeah. like a great kid. Seems like, you know, someone that you would enjoy rooting for. So happy that he's kind of gotten those, that uh proverbial monkey off his back and he seems yeah. like he's ready to roll. Would have been so easy for him to, to give in to all the pressure, all the naysayers and listen, I mean, you know, we were certainly in that camp, not in a malicious way at all. As they, the guys just said, we're, we're happy to see him uh, come out and show this talent. But it yeah. is so hard when the country and your own fan base is calling for the guy behind you uh, to, to clear your mental space and to, to go out and execute on back-to-back weeks against you know two very highly rated opponents. Well done. Uh, in- incredible hat tip over to DJU. At Boston College, at Florida State versus Syracuse, their next three meetings before they get a bye week, and then Notre Dame, Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina. The remaining schedule there for Clemson. If you're an Oklahoma State fan, which I know there are several of you out there, some of you were texting me yesterday, you got very nervous in the back half of the game of the day in Waco. Oklahoma State, though, does hang on. 36, Baylor 25. Guys, Spencer Sanders was how, how do you want to how do you want to describe this? He wasn't great, he wasn't bad, but he got the job done and I think that's what counts in the end, right? Yeah, I mean, he had it up and down against an opponent that he has really really struggled with throughout his entire career at Oklahoma State. We highlighted that on Thursday's episode, just how tough that Baylor bugaboo has been for him and, you know, there's a point in the second half where uh, you know, Oklahoma State returned the opening uh, second half kickoff back for a touchdown. Baylor almost immediately responds with a score of their own. First or second play of the next drive, Spencer Sanders throws a really bad interception. If you're an Oklahoma yeah. State fan, and maybe even Spencer Sanders, you've got to be thinking to yourself, oh no, here we go again. It's Baylor. Spencer Sanders just threw an awful interception. Here comes the comeback. They're going to come back and they're going to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. But to his credit, after that interception, he played a dang near perfect half of football, in my opinion. He made some big throws. He extended drives with his legs. Looked really, really good. So it was a little bit of a mixed bag, but he did plenty for Oklahoma State to win the game. And you know what? I've been trying to warn people about this lack of explosivity for Baylor. Baylor tried to get explosive, but when you fall behind 20-3, to three, that it, it's and you don't have an explosive playmaker... now. They did have um, Monterey Baldwin just come out of nowhere to go for seven for 174 and two. He had six career catches coming into that game, uh, according to ESPN, and he goes off for seven catches for 174 yards, of course, because everyone saw that coming. But um, yeah, but um, you know, when you don't have that proven, established go to big threat guy, it's really hard to come back from an early deficit. They almost pulled it off because of mistakes, but Oklahoma State capped that off, and Spencer Sanders was able to kind of get that uh, get that bugaboo out of the way. Yeah, what did Spencer Sanders do? He just was Spencer Sanders. That's just the ride that you get with this guy. He's been a lot more consistent this year, but look, they went in to Waco. They went on the road. They got the monkey off their back. They went to a hostile environment, and the team that I picked to go to the playoff, mind you, they were the better team with the exception of about half that third quarter. I know that it got a little close. I know that it wasn't maybe fun the whole time, but they were just the better team for the majority of that game. And mm-hmm. to your point, you know, you're saying that Baylor started to kind of come back. I think they cut it to 23 to 17. What did Spencer Sanders do to respond to that? Well, he drops a 50 yard bomb exactly. to set him up at the one. And then they ended up punching that one in for a score. 
he just wasn't afraid. That's not what you're going to get out of Spencer Sanders. He's not going to be afraid to go make a play no matter how many mistakes he's made. And I think that's what Gundy wants. Gundy is a great coach. He should get a lot more props than he does get nationally. Uh, they're in the driver's seat for this conference right now. You know, and I picked them to be this because I just didn't see how there were going to be that many other teams that were going to be that good. Now, I think the Big 12 is better than I thought they would be, but definitely from some different places. Um, <laughs> not not the conference I expected it to be this year. But look, they're, they're clear path towards a playoff berth. Baylor, they have a really, really good defense. They played great defense. They played good gap assignment. They knew what they needed to do. And still, Oklahoma State scores 36. The Okie Pokes, they look pretty good at this point of the year. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about picking them going into this one. Big win for Oklahoma State, especially to get past Baylor after how you know, just agonizing that loss was in Arlington last year. Yeah, and and the mental fortitude for Oklahoma State to hold on, right? I, twice, Baylor comes storming back after just getting punched in the mouth. It would have been so easy to roll over and go to sleep. But, you know, Blake Shapen, he throws for 345 yesterday. They, they cut it to 23-17 midway through the third quarter. Oklahoma State immediately responds. They put up 10 to go 33-17. And then, Trey, as you put in the notes, the big touchdown pass to Monterey Baldwin, 70 yards down the field. You get a two-point conversion with Gavin Holmes. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's an eight-point game, but Oklahoma State's defense stands up once again. They do not allow Baylor to score anything in that fourth quarter. Uh, Oklahoma State gets a field goal to to really push it out of range and make it a two-score game. Incredible back and forth. Baylor, from an experience, explosive side was had had the bigger chunk plays right you have spencer sanders with that that 50 yard touchdown pass but baylor's offense came to play they just could not find ways to punch it into the end zone they get stoned on the one uh what was that early in the first half really felt like you know that was that was an early statement from oklahoma state they had a pitch play on their own goal line of course guys of course it ends in a safe what have we learned don't do that Pitching it on the goal line. I don't care if it's your goal line, if it's the opposing goal line, stop doing it. Uh, I was it watching it live. Work. I went, oh no. As soon as he pitched that ball, I was like, oh, this is bad. Yeah, just, oh my goodness. What, when are coaches ever going to learn? Um, but I, I agree. I think Oklahoma State, especially with the way that Oklahoma um, didn't do Oklahoma things yesterday, which we'll get to in a little bit. Oklahoma State, no doubt. In the driver's seat, the team to watch. In the Big 12, unless Kansas comes up and gets They them. might have we'll something to say them. about that. We'll talk about that in just TCU. a little bit. Or TCU, which is in two matchups. But let's give uh, the SEC a little bit of attention. The game of the day, at least from a true matchup standpoint, Ole Miss, Kentucky. Ole Miss wins at home 22-19. Trey, gosh dang it. Kentucky had this game. Kentucky outplayed Mississippi in every phase of the game. But the turnovers in the red zone, it doomed a couple of teams yesterday and none was more apparent than the Kentucky Wildcats. I still think they're the better team, but man, when you do not execute inside the red zone, doesn't matter. You're going to lose that football game. Yeah, and not unrelated, but the stat we have is that Mark Stoops still has yet to beat an SEC West team on the road. He's been there since 2013, right? Which is amazing. Yeah, just a crazy stat. And I know he doesn't get a ton of opportunities to do that but it's like once every year i'm pretty sure so yeah just just a tough scene there but yeah you're absolutely right i walked away just thinking 
Kentucky just gave that game away. They had kicking issues in the first half. They give up a safety on an intentional grounding penalty in the first half. Yep. They, you know, Will Levis, we highlighted coming in. He has all the tools in the world, but he just has to take care of the ball. He didn't look bad throwing the ball. I thought he made some really nice plays through the air. Kentucky was doing a lot of good things, exploiting Ole Miss's aggressive nature on defense, kind of hitting some screen passes and some swing passes out to the wide receivers that were just really great play calls that went for a lot of yards. But yeah, the last two drives of the game for Kentucky, when one, they were the first one, they were just absolutely taking the air out of the ball. And it was like a seven minute drive in the fourth quarter that they're going in to go for the go ahead touchdown. And Will Levis fumbles on a play that probably should have been targeting, but wasn't called and he fumbles and gives the ball right back to Ole Miss. They get one more shot. They've driven down well into field goal range to at least tie it. And then it's a strip sack and that's your ball game. So it wasn't the interceptions this time. It was fumbles and just taking care of the football in the red zone combined with kicking issues combined with just some suspect play calling at times. But yeah, I was just, I just walked away from that game more disappointed in Kentucky's ability to finish than I was impressed with Ole Miss. Yeah. When you're a good team, you get one or two games a season, I think, where you can not show up, not play a very good game, and squeak by and say, you know what, we barely got out with that one. You know, we're fortunate, but, you know, okay. I was willing to give that to Kentucky when they went and played Florida, right? I said, okay, you didn't play a very good game, but you squeaked it out, right? You found a way to make it work in the end. Neither team impressed me yesterday. I don't think either of these teams are very good at all, if I'm being completely honest. You got to give some credit to Ole Miss. They were physical running the football. They did what they wanted to on the ground. They played good defense in the front seven. But man, Will Levis just doesn't look like the guy who should be drafted in the first round. He played fine, but he doesn't look like the kind of guy who's a confident signal caller. He has the good tools, but he doesn't look like a quarterback yet. I, I just don't feel like he's got to that point where he can make the reads, make the good decisions, and overcome mistakes for your team. Kentucky, they could run pretty well, but they just they weren't close enough on the line of scrimmage to match what Ole Miss was kind of able to do to shut them down in, in parts of that game. I don't think either of these teams are going to end up competing for their division, if I'm being completely honest. that There are a couple of teams on both sides of the SEC that I think are head and shoulders better than both of these. And so really just yesterday, it kind of felt like a you know someone has to win this game, but it didn't really seem like either team really wanted to jump out and be the one to take it. So Good job to Ole Miss for winning a game at home and giving your fans something to watch, I guess. And, you know, if you go and look at that brawl, maybe that was the most entertaining thing that happened at that game. But, oh, um, yeah, that was that was interesting, to say the least. But, um, no, just not not a couple of good teams, if you ask me at this point. Um, it, it, I'm glad that we kind of know what the pecking order is now and that I know that I can look at Georgia and Tennessee and not have to worry about Kentucky on the East. I think Kentucky's got a lot of potential. They've just they've shot themselves in a, in the foot on offense a couple times this season. Whether and it's it's always turnover related, right? Now, I mean, Trey, as you pointed out, typically it's the picks. Will Levis has been due uh, for at least one. Just like who, who are you looking at interception per game this season? That didn't happen yesterday, but the fumbles did, and. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did he get speared and and targeted in one of those fumbles? Absolutely. Could not believe the booth did not buzz down. That's, that's another thing entirely another soapbox that maybe I'll get on at some point. Maybe I won't. We clearly still have no idea what targeting is based off of the 
inequality across the board. I think when we talk OU TCU, I, I think we're going to, I think we're going to have our hamster dam segment. I think we're going to berate the officials a little bit. So I'll, I'll give a, a few more minutes on that, but you know, will I, he so badly wants to have that clutch factor that it factor for, for Kentucky. And it just hasn't shown up quite yet. I think as Chris Rodriguez gets more comfortable, remember that was just his first game of the season. Uh, as he gets more acclimated into the system, they find ways to get him more involved. I think Kentucky's offense is going to continue to improve, but Garrett, to what you're saying, they, they should not hold a candle to what Georgia and Tennessee are doing. So I think the pecking order is set in the East. There's there's no doubt in my mind that Georgia and Tennessee will compete for that title. Kentucky, again, let's remember who they are. Kentucky football is, is not known for being a 10-win team, and maybe they never get to that. But the fact that they have that that potential, that, that future look where, hey, yeah, you could see Kentucky winning – 10 11 games if they get everything put together in a season that's still a huge win for mark stoop so i I know there have been some some critical comments made and yeah trey you throw out the stat that he hasn't won an sec west road game ever at kentucky it's easy to get down on big blue nation i i still think so many things are going right for kentucky you just make a couple more mistakes than old miss did and, and you know trey you were right jackson dart not yet at quarterback not the guy. 15 to 29, 213 yards in a in a pick. He, he's just not a difference maker. Um, oh. And so I think you know that's the disappointment that Kentucky did not find a way to win that game. Uh, all things considered. To be clear, I'm not bashing on Kentucky because they didn't show up yesterday. I'm saying that I don't think Kentucky's very good because there's been multiple games at this point in the season where they have not shown up and looked like a very good football team, right? If you're Georgia, right, you're Georgia, you get the one, right? You might get two because you won it all last year, right? But you got the one last night where you didn't look very good. You went on the road and you didn't look very good against a Missouri team that we've talked about is not a very good football team. But you get that game if you win as well, right? You get to have that kind of a game if you squeak it out in the end, if you find a way to win. They barely beat Florida that we don't think is maybe a very good team. They had some other issues coming into this game that, you know, Ole Miss now finally beats them. So uh, I just I don't think Kentucky is that team. I don't think that they're nearly what they should be. So I don't know. I'm not trying to bash on them. I know that they've got a lot of things going well, but they have to put it together and the results have to be there or else I don't care if the stuff looks good if it's not actually winning. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of potential there still. I think there there's a potential in a weaker East, maybe stronger than it has been in the past, but I think an overall weaker East, they've already played Florida. They have a little bit of time, I believe. I don't, I don't remember the schedule off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure they've got some time before Tennessee to maybe iron some stuff out. So it, it, a lot of goals are still right there ahead of them. I don't think none of us had them winning the East. None of us had them, you know, actually fully competing with Georgia this year. But, you know, a New Year's Six Bowl, Lots of stuff still on the table. I'm more concerned going forward. Even though they won the game, I'm still more concerned about Ole Miss and just some of the teams that they're going to have to face. They're gonna just going to be matchup nightmares if they're able to take away that run game. But the positive for Ole Miss, we, have, we, we spent a lot of time talking about Kentucky. Ole Miss won the game, and they did that because they were able to run against a typically pretty stout Kentucky rush defense. So hats off to them. Um, you know, they did it without they're five stars having a huge game, Zach Evans. And we talked about how um, Ulysses Bennett has basically been a non-factor in yep. this one, but uh, Quinchon J- Judkins, remember the name, man. He is, 
I think leading the SEC in rush yards right now and just mm-hmm. looking like an absolute all-conference caliber, maybe even all-American caliber back. Yeah, Judkins, 106 yards on the ground yesterday. Mississippi pulls it out. I, I think they're a team to watch. They're, it was very easy to be down on Ole Miss because they took 1,000 transfers and didn't have the quarterback uh, established. They still don't have the quarterback established, but they're explosive enough where – Lane Kiffin has got the run building to set up the pass. And when that happens, you don't have to have a CJ Stroud slinging it back there for you. You can have a 200 yard passing performance and still come out and win the game. And their defense stepped up as well. So hats off to Ole Miss. Um, you know, certainly don't want to bury them here in, in, in the, in the Kentucky content. And I fully expect Ole Miss to be seven and zero going into a Baton Rouge at the end of October. So yeah. They're not going to lose, I don't think, to Vanderbilt or Auburn. So even if we still have concerns, they've still got time. This was a huge test that they passed, that they can not play a great game and beat a legit top 15, top 10 caliber team. I, that, that's a big plus to me. And they're, they're going to get some time over the next couple of weeks to iron it out before back-to-back road trips to vulnerable LSU and Texas A&M teams. That's very true. All right, let's whip it around the Big 12, and let's start in the stockyards. The jaw-dropping game of the week. TCU, the Horn Frogs, 55, previously 16th-ranked Oklahoma Sooners, 24. Guys, what on earth happened to Brent Venables and this Oklahoma defense? I mean, when Venables came back, that is what he's known for, is explosive defense, get getting to the quarterback, eliminating pass lanes, destroying the run. Guys, TCU had over 350 yards of offense by halftime. This game was over at the end of the first quarter when they put up 27 points on what we're told is a defensive guru and the Oklahoma Sooners. Garrett, I mean, you're, you're just chomping at the bit here. Please explain to me what I was forced to watch on ABC yesterday. Yeah, are we sure that Brent Venables is a defensive coach? Because it definitely isn't what it looked like. Um, But guys, as I'm sitting here enjoying a cup of sweet tea, I've poured it into this Railhead Barbecue cup right here. And and Railhead Barbecue, of course, an amazing Fort Worth tradition right there on Montgomery Street just off of 30. Um, But it says something, definitely not a sponsor, but absolutely could be. Um, it says right here on the back of the cup that life is too short to live in Dallas. Um, I just want to go ahead and shout out that TCU did this one for the 817. They've not only established themselves in the Big 12 now, this is DFW's team. I've had to drive past that SMU billboard every single day on my way back from work. <laughs> shout out to TCU. You were the better team by far yesterday. Um, it could have fooled me that Brent Venables knows how to coach a defense. You know, you look at this game, a bunch of OU's production ended up coming towards the back half of that game in terms of yardage. Max Duggan is a baller. 418 total yards, five touchdowns. And this is a TCU team that can really run the ball, too. Kendrick Miller, he had 136, 10.5 average. DeMarcado added 62 on only eight carries. Are we sure they even miss Zach Evans? I'm not sure that they miss him because they're running the ball just as effectively OU has so many questions to answer on this one. You have to be able to fix your defense before you can even start addressing the issues on the offense. And I know that they had the the big hit on Dylan Gary. I'll let you guys talk about that later. But just on the defensive side, it's simple things. Tackling, run gaps, 
blown coverages, understanding your assignment on the field. And honestly, if we're being completely honest, effort, it kind of looks like they mailed it in right there, right? To me, last half of that game, they were running all over him. They were big scores, and it looked like they just quit. It just kind of looked like they weren't wanting to play the rest of that game. They're like, fine, we lost, whatever, let's get out of here. You know, I saw the TCU Twitter when they were talking about who's going to get to 62 first, TCU or Aaron Judge. And I was, you know, I was hoping that they'd actually get to 62 so they could say that. Um, I guess it's maybe an act of grace that they didn't decide to, you know, actually ring up that many more points on Oklahoma. But big shout out to TCU, who I think is skyrocketed to the top of the Big 12 at this point. That's a great offense led by a quarterback who's been there and done that for a little while. Plenty of experience right there. And they're going into Lawrence next week, which should be the game of the week for everybody. I'm excited to watch that one. You know, game day already picked that they're going there. Big shout out to TCU. This is absolutely your moment. Doing it for the 817. Very excited for those boys. Yeah, not a lot much else to add there. I mean, you know, you, you talk about Dylan Gabriel, and I think you talk about them not looking motivated. I think that had a huge part of it because – TCU was just running up and down the field as I can't remember who was calling that game, but the play-by-play guy said uh, they're running through him like a stimulus check. And uh, yeah, it's a great line there. I love that. Incredible. I think he got some heat for that one on Twitter, but I liked it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you talk about Dylan Gabriel getting hurt. That really hurt their chances to keep up with TCU's offense. But yeah, Coming into this year, I was the guy that picked OU to be the four seed. And to be honest, it was not finding a team that I liked more than them to take that spot. You guys were on Utah. You guys were on NC State, Oklahoma State, those type of teams. Don't, don't drag me into this. <laughs> Leave me What's alone. Up? I said, hey, don't yeah, drag yeah. me no, into it. If I, have to, if I have to own my mistake, I'm going to throw some straights. Okay. <laughs> but um, look, I, I thought that. Oklahoma could rely on talent, Dylan Gabriel, and that offense to outscore teams like they did in the Lincoln-Riley era. I didn't think their defense would be 2018 levels of bad. When you look at this TCU team, and like all the credit in the world to TCU, none of us were in on the Horned Frogs in the preseason. We looked at that team on paper and said, this is a Big 12 cellar dweller. Um, And credit to them for just proving us wrong. Sonny Dykes looks like an absolute problem in this conference with maybe a little bit more talent than he had at his disposal at SMU, um, getting that power, those power five resources. But man, you look at this Oklahoma defense, if you give up a 40 burger in the first half and a Sammy Hagar overall, when TCU wasn't even trying in the fourth quarter, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like it is going to be a long year for you in a conference that's full of just dynamic quarterbacks and dynamic offenses. You add to that an injured quarterback over the next couple of weeks. You know, yeah. Red River rivalry has lost a lot of its luster next weekend. I, I just don't know where you turn to for answers right now if you're Oklahoma. My, my wife, I'll, I'll just add one more thing. My wife is a counseling student and she sees college football through a much different lens than I do. Probably a much more emotionally <laughs> healthy lens than I do. But she asked me this morning, what fan base do you think is the most sad at this point in the college football season? I think the low-hanging fruit for me as a fan of them was Texas A&M. But I think it might be Oklahoma just because Mm -hmm. they are in a place right now where your coach got stolen by another Power 5 program. Mm Kind of got embarrassed by that. You thought that you had a guy that was going to just continue 
momentum. But as of right now, that just doesn't look like the case. And you've just been flat out embarrassed on defense two weeks in a row to teams that you're way more talented than. So that's, that's the fan base I chose is Oklahoma is just like down right now, down really bad. And it might get worse in Dallas next weekend. 678 yards given up 361 of them on the ground guys i mean the sooners couldn't tackle a ghost yesterday um it, yeah it truly was just Can it was tackle a ghost uh, well if if you can oklahoma didn't um <laughs> it was it was tough it was really really tough to watch oklahoma guys look like they quit in the second quarter um yeah and it's a fan base that is is frustrated and angry and understandably so you know, you got to get your quarterback healthy, Dylan Gabriel. We don't know how long he'll be out. Hopefully he's back this next week. But then again, with all the, the headlines about concussion protocol and, and Tua and the NFL being just completely misdiagnosed, um, certainly do not want to want to rush him back if it's a head injury. I, I don't know that it was a head injury. It just that's what it looked like. But yeah, a lot of questions. OU is is on a losing streak now. They've got to find a way to to stop that skid. And, oh, by the way, you get the Texas Longhorns in the biggest game of your season next week in Fair Park. Um, it, it does not get any easier than that for sure. Kansas State 37, Texas Tech 28. Not a ton to say on this game other than Kansas State raced out to an early lead. Tech reeled them back in. I was I was watching a little bit of this game with my father yesterday who went to Texas Tech. It was fun to see the Red Raiders pull back in, but – my goodness, uh, Adrian Martinez just continues to run the rock and be impossible to tackle out of the backfield. Kansas State, Trey, you said they got their what-on-earth loss out of the way early. Really feels like the Cats. Deuce Vaughn could could be dangerous come, uh, come the end of the season here. Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez because they are letting him run and he is taking advantage of it. Adrian Martinez... Listen, Deuce Vaughn ran for 170 yards yesterday and was not the leading rusher for Kansas State. Adrian Martinez barely edged him out with 71. So if you're telling me that they can run read option or they can run, you know, a speed option or just use both of those guys in their running game, how do you stop that? Because that is two absolutely dynamic playmakers with the ball in their hands. And Adrian Martinez, the last couple of weeks against Tech in Oklahoma, he hasn't lit the world on fire with his arm, but he also hasn't turned it over. And that's been a big difference. He's being efficient and doing just enough with his arm that his legs can just be absolutely deadly. Yeah, I know Tech was in a bit of a letdown spot, but still, I think this has a lot more to do with Kansas State being a very good team as opposed to Tech just being bad, right? Kansas State might have a case to be made that they're the best running team in this country. I mean, if you can combine AJ Martinez and Deuce Vaughn for 341 total yards on the ground, that's that's kind of crazy. But the, the thing for me that really sets it is that's what everyone knows they want to do, right? If you were going to make a game plan as a defensive coordinator for Kansas State, you would say something along the lines of, we need to put extra guys in the box to stop the run. It wasn't like Adrian Martinez was bad in the past game. He was effective. He wasn't explosive or anything, but he was effective. I think he completed something like 12 for 19 or something like that. So, okay, he was fine. But Texas Tech just couldn't stop them from running at will. So far, the only team that's been able to do it is Tulane. And, you know, kind of like you guys are saying, that might have just been a weird one-off type of situation. You know, I I think this is going to be a team that continues to roll and continues to be a bit of a threat in a conference where, you know, again, we've been talking about the Big 12. They're not really a run-stopping type of conference. And so 
you might see some of these numbers get even more dramatic as they get into their schedule. You know, I think Donovan Smith was fine. He he had good numbers. The two interceptions might have ended up costing them, but you know, there's nothing really to say about that. Um, he's going to mature Texas or you know, Texas Tech. They're going to be in great shape, but and there's certainly wins still left on the table for the Red Raiders, right? There's certainly some wins on the schedule, but they just have to be more consistent. They have to limit those mistakes. They had four turnovers and five penalties for 40 yards. You got to start to get those numbers down a little bit, especially in some of those critical spots where where you don't need them, right? So they're going to have a good year one. If they want to have a great one, they need to limit the mistakes. Kansas State, for me, again, I picked them to go to the Big 12 championship game, still looking like a decent pick for that. They're still undefeated in conference play, and they look like they're really figuring it out on the offensive side. Tell you what, the Sunflower State, they're playing some football, gentlemen. Let's go to Kansas. 14-11 victory over the Clones of Iowa State. Um, my initial observation, Iowa State really should have won this game, but uh, shout out hashtag college kickers. You are very present in this one. Freshman kicker for the clones misses three attempts in the game, including, I think it was like a 30 something yard, a very short field goal for the tie at the very end. And guys, that, that kick was such a supreme duck hook to the left. It never threatened the, uh, the uprights there. Just a tough scene for Iowa State overall. I know Matt Campbell has been really frustrated these last two years where it feels like they catch every possible bad break they could get, whether it's a college kicker missing three field goals, the refs absolutely you know hosing them on targeting calls, on missed penalties, etc. Kansas, though, they're 5-0, boys, and they are ranked for the first time since 2009, and they are hosting college game day when TCU comes calling next week. I think... As, as tough of a scene as it is for Iowa State, all you can do is praise Lance Leipold and these Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, and you know what? We've been beating the drum about the Kansas offense, but it was the defense that won this game. They held Iowa State to those field goal attempts. They kept them out of the end zone um, all but one time. So, yeah, I mean, it was the defense that had been a little suspect so far this year that carried them to the win. I'm all aboard that Jayhawk hype train. I'm so happy they're getting game day next week. TCU is going to be a really tough challenge, but mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're celebrating. We're embracing it right now. And just one more thing about Iowa State, you don't win games with field goals. I think I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that because with college kickers and, you know, explosive offenses, combine those two together, it's just so much harder to win the game when you're relying on field goals. So at the end of the game, Matt Campbell you could tell that he did not want to send that kid back out there. He was, he, they were going yeah. to go for it on that fourth and one and try to keep going to get a touchdown instead of the field goal to tie. And for whatever reason, I think Kansas called a timeout and Matt, that changed Matt Campbell's mind to trot the field goal kicker out there. And it was just that that decided the game. Yeah, no, on the Iowa State side, I'm just not impressed so far. I think they're probably towards the bottom of this conference. I don't see a whole lot of wins for them this year personally. Just too many mistakes, inconsistencies on offense. They had a good showing on defense. I mean, this is a Kansas offense that we were talking about being very, very good. And still, you know, they held them down to 14 points. And so, you know, great showing from the defense, but it just doesn't seem like they're able to rise to the occasion on offense when they need that one more play, that third and six, find the yardage. It just doesn't seem like they have it in them. But again, let's talk about Kansas. Let's sing their praises for a second. Off the top of the show, we said that the big thing for Clemson was that they found ways to win a game a different way than normal. 
right? Well, so did the Kansas Jayhawks. Okay, and I'm not trying to equate the two programs necessarily, but they found ways to win these games different ways. And so massive props to Kansas, massive props to the Kansas defense for picking up the slack on a day where the offense really did struggle to find a rhythm. You know, they got two turnovers despite the fact that they lost the time of possession by about 10 minutes. They still held the clones to five of 18 on third down. That's impressive. I don't care who you play. Now, look, they lost Daniel Hyshaw. That sucks. Okay, this kid, he came back from an injury last year. He worked his way back into a big role in this offense, and now he's getting carted off the field, spent some time in the hospital last night. I don't know if he got released. I didn't see an update on that. Last I saw, he was in the hospital last night. Um, Maybe something with his hip was the concern there. Um, But, man, he's going to be missed, both for what he does on the field and in terms of his leadership within this offense. I love Kansas football, regardless of that. I still think they're going to be very good. I still think that their quarterback is fantastic. I still think that, you know, this matchup with TCU is probably going to be one of the better games that we're going to see this week. And look, they have a chance to be one of the first bowl eligible teams this year. That's the Kansas Jayhawks having a chance to be one of the first bowl eligible teams of the year, depending on what time their game wraps up, they could be real close to the top of that list. And so great job. Lance Leipold bringing this team back from the absolute depths. I'm all in on the Jayhawks. We've been singing the praises, but yeah, great job. They're finding different ways to win. This is a very good football team, and I think they're going to be right there in November. Second straight sellout, too, coming home uh, as they'll host the Horn Frogs. I'm I'm so excited to watch this game. It is going to be a lot of fun. 11 a.m. kick is what they've got it slated for right now. That is going to be rivaling a couple other big games, including the Red River rivalry, but I think we're all talking about getting together for, for next weekend slate. You can guarantee Kansas TCU oh, yeah. will command one of the screens. No doubt about it. All right, let's go to Texas to wrap up the Big 12 very quickly. The Longhorns 38, West Virginia 20. Guys, Texas controlled this game pretty much from, from the get-go. Some deep passes. They're expecting Quinn Ewers to be back this next week. Xavier Worthy was back and healthy. He made some great catches, had over 100 yards receiving. Uh, the Longhorn offense looking very explosive here. West Virginia, I, I hate to say we told you so, West Virginia fans, but we told you so. Uh, there's just uh, – the ceiling's kind of low this year. Yeah, and I don't think this West Virginia team is that bad, but they definitely weren't impressive, right? They didn't do anything that really impressed you against, I think, the better team, right? Now, when I did the preview for this, I said that I thought that Texas was in a dangerous position, right? They're coming off that disappointing loss out of Lubbock, there were some maybe issues with some of the culture things in terms of, you know, some of the leaks and stuff like that coming out. But, but great job from this coaching staff and from this locker room bouncing back after a tough week and putting on a great performance against an inferior team, but, but they're still a solid team, right? You put up a great performance against them at home. You know, you get back in front of your fans, not a hostile environment again, Right. And you didn't let your season slide out of control like you did last year. Right. Last year, the loss is compounded this year, at least for now, you stopped that from happening. You lost a tough one in overtime. You didn't make all the plays you wanted to. But still, you come out against West Virginia and you smoked them. You did a great job. Big props to everyone in that locker room for sticking together and just going out there and flat out outplaying West Virginia. I'm really curious to see how this can kind of help them going into Red River rivalry and the back half of their season, right? Seeing how that momentum can carry them, seeing if they can maybe keep this going against an OU team that at this point doesn't have anything going in the right direction. 
and you know maybe they're playing in sort of wounded animal mode but if you're texas you got to feel good because your team's put better stuff on the field than oklahoma's has and you know I think Texas has to kind of get this OU monkey off their bag, no pun intended. And they finally have to start putting some, you know, impressive wins together over the last part of this season. Now, I think that they'll start to do that, but I'm I'm needing to see it happen before I'll buy into where this team is, right? Let's get Quinn back. Let's start to win some games. Let's see what we can do against Oklahoma. And let's take this into the last half of the season. So big props to Texas for not letting that happen again this year and showing that they've turned a corner at least for now in terms of where their program is. Yeah. I was expecting a big bounce back game from Texas this week against a West Virginia team that I think is very vulnerable and is probably going to finish at the bottom of the big 12. If I had to guess right now, maybe Iowa state's in that mix too, but yeah, great win for Texas. Great to get some consistency built. And now they're in a spot where they probably expect to win against Oklahoma next week, and that'll be interesting to see how they respond. I agree. I'm already – I was thinking about that game this morning, already fully picking the Texas Longhorns to win that game. Uh, We'll see what the spread opens up at, but uh, stay tuned. We'll we'll obviously preview that one coming up later this week. Let's go over to the Big Ten. A couple of big games in action. Very surprising results on two fronts. You had Purdue beat Minnesota 20-10. You had Illinois beat Wisconsin 34-10. And then Michigan, 27 over Iowa, 14. Let's kind of roundtable these three games. Let's start up in rowing the boat land because, Trey, I think I think we need to call an emergency council. We we have an, uh, an imposter among us. We, we had someone join the bandwagon last week, and the Gophers immediately lose. Uh, do we need to take a vote about throwing Garrett off this bandwagon? Is he, is he bad juju? Yeah, smash that button. I saw him in the vents. Uh, just yeah, we, we need to we need to get somebody off this bandwagon. But no, in all seriousness, it was mainly Mo Ibrahim being a surprise late scratch. You could just tell that Minnesota looked disjointed on offense without their best player. And yep. Tanner Morgan had to shoulder a little bit more of the burden. He responded by throwing three interceptions. And <laughs> the Minnesota defense looked really good. I thought, you know, I, I think uh Purdue I think got I don't think it was a defensive touchdown but the defense definitely set up a score late to put that one completely out of reach and you know it Minnesota this was a classic Big Ten West game of course just when you think you're rolling you run into a team that you're favored by double digits and you lose the game that's the Big Ten West so I I still expect them I still think they're the best team in the division if they get Mo Ibrahim back but yeah, a little, little luster lost this week. Yeah, in my defense, they were missing their best player, right? Let's be completely fair. With that being said, though, I'm going to go ahead. him before you went. <laughs> With all <laughs> that being said, though, politely goes. and respectfully, I will hop off of the bandwagon. Apparently, my <laughs> presence was way too much for them to handle. They couldn't carry the combined weight of you know me and the other two of y'all, so... I'm out. I'm relegating them to the Big Ten West, which is what I'm going to be calling the shadow realm from now on because nobody comes back from there. Nobody seems to want to win. I seem to remember something about an uh, Aiden O'Connell, maybe like Dark Horse Heisman thing in the preseason from one of you two. Um, and, And he threw, what, two picks and not even 200 yards yesterday, and they still found a way to win that game. Nobody wants to win this division it wouldn't matter who wins this division because it's basically a consolation bracket for who gets to get the brakes beaten off them by either Michigan or Ohio State. So 
It wouldn't Fair. really matter in the long run who wins this division, but I guess none of them want to go get embarrassed like that. So, yeah, I, cool, gophers, fun, row your boat somewhere else without me. I'll be just fine not worrying about games in the Shadow Realm. Well, so let's talk about Illinois-Wisconsin next. But first, <laughs> the current Big Ten West standings. It's a seven-team division, right? Six teams are tied at one and one. Only Wisconsin, who is America's most popular favorite pick to win the Big Ten West, is 0-2. And that's because the Fighting Illini just eviscerated them yesterday. 34-10. Wisconsin had two rushing yards. That's the lowest total since 2015. Guys, that's the just only two? thing Wisconsin does well is run the football. We've already talked about Graham Mertz not being the guy. They had two lone rushing yards in the Burt Bowl yesterday. Fighting Illini are four and one. They're looking legit. I, I don't know that they necessarily have the firepower to go win the Big Ten West, but then again, you know, if, if Minnesota doesn't get healthy, you, you saw what kind of offensive ineptitude they had. It really does feel like anyone could could come in and end up in Indianapolis. I mean, Nebraska wins yesterday. They're even though they're what one and they're two and two and three, two and four, whatever their record is, they're technically tied atop the Big Ten West standing. So, Shadow Realm might be might be the right term. Trey, I I mean, <laughs> you you had a, a funny line in the notes here. I'll, I'll let you take this away. Yeah, ne- Nebraska is tied for first in the Big Ten West. It's a six-way tie, but you know that that this is something crazy right now. But on Wisconsin, is Paul Chris start is his seat starting to get a little bit warm? Because I, I don't know. Like you gotta have a little bit higher expectations if you're a Wisconsin fan, right? This division's yeah. wide open and you're the only team not involved in the tie at the top of the division. So I, I just don't know. It's, I don't know the pulse of that fan base. Obviously, we're pretty far removed from them geographically. But yeah, I don't know. Do you guys think his seat's getting a little warm? I mean, you'd have to have higher expectations. You'd expect at least three rushing yards, right? At least three. <laughs> it seems like a minimum maybe for me. I don't know if that's true or not, but that seems like a minimum of three. This is a Shadow Realm special right here. This is what I wrote down in the notes. This was an ugly football game. You know, as far as watching it from a Wisconsin perspective, I didn't watch any of it. I'm thrilled that I didn't personally. At this point, you're going to watch Illinois drop three more games. They probably shouldn't just because they look good against Wisconsin and they belong to the shadow realm with the rest of them. So, no, I'm not hyped about either of these teams. Good win for now, Illinois. Glad that y'all actually win that. But, okay, we'll see. Yeah, and elsewhere in the Big Ten West, you know, we did briefly mention it, but that Michigan Iowa game guys that Gus Johnson couldn't have made that exciting. Like that, that was just awful football. 27, 14 Michigan gets the win, but that's Iowa football. 2022, even Gus Johnson can't make you exciting. Someone tweeted that the score deficit when, when Iowa lines up, instead of being down seven, he reads it in, in dog years. So as, as soon as they go down, you know, 10 points, they're down by, by two scores. For Iowa football, that's like by being down by you know seventy. Seventy, yeah, <laughs> truly insurmountable. Spencer Petrus just cannot; he can't complete passes. I mean, now listen, bless Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt for trying to defend the poor kid. He has been slaughtered in the media for his entire career. 
But I tell you what, as Joel Klatt is kind of throwing the rest of the team under the bus and saying, look, man, like you can't win a game when it's just one against 11. Spencer Petras missed three straight wide open receivers by overthrowing them. I mean, it was the most poorly timed commentary of our lifetime. And I think it just perfectly kind of demonstrates, look, Iowa is, if not the worst team on offense in the country, one of them. And this defense is just being wasted. I mean, to hold Michigan to 27 points, all things considered, very impressive considering what you know what they've done in weeks past. Now, I know they didn't exactly blow the doors off Maryland, but again, I, I still give a hat tip to Iowa for playing hard every single down knowing your team's not scoring any points on offense. If the defense isn't scoring, right now it looks like you're not winning a football game, and, and that's I, that can be really demoralizing to play behind for sure. Yeah, well, and I put down that Michigan was in complete control of this game. They played a really good defense, but unfortunately, they were wearing the same uniform as Spencer Petras. That's just kind of what it comes down to. The big rushing total was kind of my big stat for this game. Michigan outrushed Iowa 172 to 35. So you can blame this on Spencer Petras to some degree. You know, loading the box is certainly easier to stop the run. But, yeah, back to the shadow realm goes Iowa. You know, just not great. This game was out of control. The score does not indicate the competitiveness of this game. Like you guys are saying, 27 to 14 is basically a 70-point win for Michigan. So, good job, Wolverines. You're you're still rolling. Uh, Big Blue keeps rolling on. So, good job. And I think we, we mentioned the score, but we've got to talk about the other side of Michigan, right? Because there is a big problem in East Lansing after Michigan State played Maryland 27 to 13. So we talk about, you know, Jimbo Fisher's contract and rightfully so, but holy cow, Michigan State is paying a lot of money to Mel Tucker for not a lot of proven results at this point. Yeah, I I know I saw a tweet yesterday. Someone said they paid Mel Tucker $95 million for smoking cigars and calling run plays to Kenneth Walker III. And while that is brutally (laughs) unfair to Mel Tucker – it also very, very truly, you know, seems like it's an accurate statement because this this offense has no rhythm, no life to it whatsoever. And the defense, it doesn't look like it's improved all that much from last year. Their secondary was one of the worst in the country last season. And it just doesn't feel like they're taking any steps forward. But guys, I mean, you know, we witnessed it with our own team yesterday. You're seeing it at other spots around the country. If your defense can't rely on the offense to at least keep you in football games. I mean, all your problems get magnified. And right now, Michigan State is just having a whale of a time getting in the end zone. Yeah, and to be fair, Maryland might actually be okay. Like, they're not a terrible team. They did hang with Michigan, and they just kind of beat the brakes off of Michigan State. So we might be underselling Maryland a little bit here. You know, little Tago Vailoa, he's certainly playing well. Um, And, and, you know, I I think that he's going to – end up being okay for Maryland. I think they're a decent team. All this did was make Michigan State look pretty bad, and their in-state rival Wolverines looked a lot better after what they just did to them. So, sure. uh, you know, the rough scene for Michigan State this week. Michigan State's next three games are Ohio State and Wisconsin at home and then a trip to the big house. So they could be staring two and Ooh. six right in the face. That's that's less than ideal. Uh, other games in the Big Ten, Penn State 17, Northwestern at 7, and Nebraska, as we mentioned, currently tied for first in the Big Ten West. They beat Indiana 35-21. Over to the SEC, uh, let's get this out of the way. Um, Mississippi State 42, Texas A&M 24. 
listen, head over to our Twitter if you if you want some of our thoughts that were tweeted live during the game. It's clear that Jimbo's offense is either woefully ancient or way too complicated for his quarterback and young receivers to come to the same page on. The offensive line was abysmal yesterday. Defensively, the three-man front continues to seemingly sink their ship. There's just no pass rush that the Aggies are getting. Uh, they did not record a sack once again. Had their opportunities early. This could have been a very different ball game if Devin A. Chain does not fumble on the six-yard line, if Antonio Johnson holds on to an easy pick six. All of a sudden, the Aggies are up 14-0 at the beginning of the second quarter. But neither of those opportunities were cashed in. Texas A&M had two turnovers in the red zone. That's all I've got to say right now because we've we've talked about this in much greater depth off camera. Nobody actually cares, but Trey, I'll I'll leave it to you. You had a, a bit of wisdom here for us. You know, at this point as a fan, I'm just going to lean on Olaf uh, from Frozen 2 where he said, we're going to call this controlling what you can when things feel out of control. And that's not going to be my mindset as a fan for the rest of the season for Texas A&M. I'm still going to give my all to this podcast, but for a and I'm going to lean on Olaf. That's a good idea. Um, guys, what do my show notes say for this one? Bad. bad. Yep, that's it. That's all I got to say right there. This was just bad. Is the scheme good? No, it's bad. Were the plays drawn up good? No, they were bad. Was the approach on defense good? No, that was pretty bad too. There just wasn't really a lot that went well for AM. You have to give your credit to Mississippi State. They played a really good game. I, I was saying going into this year that Will Rogers is one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. He looked like it. He had, you know, plenty of time, but he made good decisions. You know, first half he started off a little shakier, but he really settled in and made some good decisions down the stretch. You don't score 42 unless you're doing something right on offense. So great job to Mississippi State. You know, I think maybe going into Baton Rouge was a tough one a couple weeks ago for them. But I'm excited to see what they can do, you know, on this last half of their season and see, you know, kind of what they can turn this team into. I think this is the first time they went 4-1 and one since like 2014 or 2015 or something like that. So certainly getting up to, you know, some newer heights even since Dak was there. So, uh, yeah, great job for Mississippi State. Lots to clang those cowbells for. Um, wish I didn't have to listen to that all game, but, you know, that's just <laughs> part of the mystique of Mississippi State, I guess. So uh, not very good for AM. Pretty good effort for Mississippi State. Not a lot to say. Yeah, obviously the big note here, um, Texas A&M on the road in Tuscaloosa next week to take on the Crimson Tide. Quarterback Max Johnson hurt in the latter portion of this game, has a hand injury. Not sure on the severity of that, but Haynes King did have to come in. I will say Haynes looked fine. Now he threw two picks, neither of which were his fault. Both were drops by the wide receivers, including one that went to the house for a pick six. Um, I'll, I'll say this. If you think that, you know, as Aggie fans, we're going to shy away from our, our team's struggles, that's that's not the case. We are not going to be blatant nope. homers on this podcast. This is not a Texas A&M podcast, and we never want it to be. So when I saw yesterday that a fan tweeted to the rest of the Aggie fan base that we need to realize that we are truly becoming the Texas Longhorns without any national championships to fall behind on, as in high expectations, high recruiting classes, somewhat low development, although I think A&M is still getting draft picks in, into the league, but just woefully underperforming national expectations, I was the blinking guy meme where... The, the dawning realization hit me, and uh, I feel like it's only fair to, to throw that out into the ether, that um, I kind of agree with that statement. The way things are trending, you cannot talk the talk that A&M did in the offseason. You cannot command headlines like you did in the offseason. You cannot 
you know, lean back on the number one recruiting class in all of history and not take your lumps when you start the season three and two with losses to Mississippi State and to App State. Can't do it. So uh, program is in a rough spot right now, and we'll own that. And again, I'll, I'll just go back to Olaf because I'm not <laughs> someone that contributes to Jimbo nope. Fisher's $9.5 million a year salary. No, Am not. I frustrated that that's what we're getting for $9.5 million a year? Absolutely. Do I contribute any of my money to that? No. So we're calling this controlling what you can when things feel right. out of control. That's right. Yeah, I, and we I, said we said we go on the road to Bama next week for AM. That's that is correct. I'm gonna go ahead and just copy my show notes for this one to next week's post game wrap. <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and put bad over there too. Just start hey, the we, week six fan fan mo, fan. Pulling the curtain back, you know, we're three and two with a bad loss to Mississippi State and we're unranked. We have Bama right where we want them. That's sure. exactly where we had them last year. So. Exactly what happened last year. Maybe with Alabama. a back QB as well. So that's right. Speaking of Alabama, 49, Arkansas 26. The Crimson Tide, they they blew off the doors in the first half. They were up 28-0. Bryce Young gets hurt. Arkansas comes storming back. And then Jalen Milrow and company then rushed it right down the, thro- uh, the the hog's throat for the remainder of the game. Crimson Tide, they went on the road. They they beat the brakes off of what we think is a very solid team in Arkansas. They cover the spread. I'm miserable about that because for the longest time it felt like, okay, actually Arkansas is going to be competitive in this one. Uh, but guys, I think we learn a lot about Alabama's will, their, their ability to get up for a road game. There were some questions about the toughness of that team. Is Nick Saban losing touch? Um, even losing their starting quarterback. They go on the road. They they handle the Hogs. Very quality win for Alabama. And now you're starting to see the, the Death Star, I think, become operational again. Them in Georgia, I, it, it really does feel like them and then maybe Tennessee, but everybody else beneath them. Yeah, I might be the hot takes guy here, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the hottest take I've ever given. I think Alabama might be good. Yeah. Yeah. Scorching. I, I think they yeah. might actually be a good football team. I, I think you're right. I, I picked them to cover in this game, so I was sweating for the other reason opposite you guys. But man, even Jalen Miller looked really, really good. If I were Nick mm-hmm. Saban, even if Bryce Young is okay, I would try to find some packages for that guy because he just looked electric running the ball. You know, Jalen Milrow looks like a faster, more accurate version of KJ Jefferson. He is going to be a bear to get on the ground when he eventually takes over the starting quarterback duties. That dude is massive, and you're not going to be able to arm tackle him. You're not going to be able to one-on-one him in the open field very often, at least not if you're a defensive back, right? So, gosh, we've we've seen the pocket passer era of, of Nick Saban's quarterbacks do damage for years. Now imagine a guy like Jalen Milrow whose first inclination is to run Oh boy, that could be a different different tide team either this next week or next year, depending on how healthy Bryce Young is. Well, and Bryce is the better quarterback, obviously. But if he's even sort of on the fence about, you know, being able to come back for this next week, you don't need to rush him back. You know, you don't need to rush him back into a game you're probably gonna win anyways. So just roll with the backup. You know, he's gonna be just fine. Don't rush your guy who's supposed to get um supposed to take you to those heights as a program. Don't let him get re-hurt or re-injured against a team that you're probably going to beat anyways next week at home. So, Trey, you just put in the chat there some breaking news. As we're live recording this podcast, Carl Durrell fired at Colorado. They got 
The doors blown off against Arizona last night. I, I guess we can react to that real fast. Not not really any any surprise there. It's it's been a tough scene there in Boulder for a long time now. Yeah, kind of a weird hire when he was hired. It was a weird timing. Just never got it right. And yeah, Colorado's bad. Carl Durrell doesn't seem like a good coach. So hopefully they find someone better. Yeah, feels, I know. I just I just had my hottest take ever. I'm gonna go with one maybe a little hotter. Carl Durrell, not a very good coach. It feels like they're going to go 0-12 this year, and that's that's tough for Colorado. Uh, last SEC matchup that we really care about, Georgia barely squeaks by Missouri 26-22. As we mentioned off the top, uh, the, the dogs trailed that entire game. They didn't take the lead until four minutes left. Brady Cook and Missouri actually looked decent on offense, and, and, and defensively they really harassed Stetson Bennett, but in the end, Missouri not not good enough to to pull it out. Georgia does drop one in the AP poll ranks. They went from the undisputed top team in the land to number two behind Alabama. Now Ohio state stays put at number three, but I, I don't know if you guys have any just pressing thoughts on this matter. I thought it was a fun game to watch, but in the end, the better team obviously won. It was a nice surprise to have that, you know, be a game Missouri was winning, but guys, what's my mantra? What's my mantra? Say it with me. You don't win games with field goals. Yeah. Even if your kicker is a really hefty boy that is lighting the world on fire and lighting yeah. Twitter on fire, you don't win games with field goals. And Mizzou couldn't cash in those drives. Eventually, Georgia kept chipping away and got back in that game. And, you yeah. know, if you're Georgia, you're happy to get out of an SEC road game when you didn't play your best. And that's what good teams do. Yeah, I said it off the top. You can not show up for one of these games, kind of just play poorly, and then if you win, nobody really cares. You can do that once or twice a season, and no one's going to question it. So, you know, when Georgia's number one or number two at the end of the year and they're worrying about seeding, maybe they care that they didn't blow Missouri out. But at the end of the day, do we think this affects their ability to make the playoff? Probably not. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely not. Uh, everyone has has a a down game on their record at some point, and like Trey said, Georgia won it. All right, let's blow through the ACC. Really not a lot to say here um, through these finals. Boston College 34, Louisville 33. Again, Louisville just finding a way to lose another football game. Boston College wanted to turn this ball over. It felt like on every single possession. And and yet, Phil Jerkovic and, and Zay Flowers find a way to outscore Louisville. Um, you know, Garrett, I know you've you've put that that pick to bed. We'll 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 leave that tucked in in the corner. Let's just not disturb it. I do think Scott yep. Satterfield is going to get fired at some point this year. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's doing less with more right now in one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and uh, they just continue to find ways to lose the football game. As Cunningham did, did get hurt uh, at the end of that game, so it did, didn't disclose. Uh, didn't excuse the defensive effort against yeah. Boston College. Yeah, I was going to say, that's why they give up 34 to Boston College. <laughs> well, it's it's why they didn't have any shot at a final comeback. Right, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say, Louisville finds a way to lose games, as did, finally, my beloved Knowles found a way to lose a game. Wake Forest beats them 31-21. UNC dominates Virginia Tech 41-10. to That's a bad, bad Virginia Tech team. Uh, no real other notes to say in the ACC. Kind of uh, just, you know, a, a lot of, I guess, teams holding serve. We talked about Clemson NC State. That was the headliner. Uh, let's move on to the Pac-12. Boy, I thought this game was going to be close and competitive. It was not. Utah 42, Oregon State 16. The Chainsaws were not out for the Beavers. Are the Utes back, guys? Like, did, did we get our blip on the radar out of the way in week one? The Utes are back. Let's go. This is a huge game for them. Needed to step up. 
you know, needed to finally show that you're the team you thought they were. I said I thought they'd get back to that. They absolutely did good for them, good for the Utes. I'm still, you know, holding out hope at that long shot. Maybe someone drops a game somewhere and you can, you know, squeak into a playoff. I know it's a long shot at this point, but hey, it's an early season loss that you could maybe forgive towards the end of the year if you look good enough. So, Keep showing up to these games like this, Utah. Keep winning some big games over some teams that we respect and care about out there. You know, USC later in the year, Oregon at the end of the year. You know, we we could see what happens out there. Good job for Utah getting back on track. Yeah, and they also had a killer graphic with the chainsaw in a trash can um, (laughs) trolling Oregon State. So that that was great from their social media team as well. But the game that we're about to talk about shows that Utah – might have a tougher road than we originally thought. And I'll throw it back to Mitch with a yeah. professional segue. Well, and yeah, hey, tip of the cap there. This was a game that I talked about in my reel again at 3 Tech Pod. If you so choose to go watch that. UCLA 40, Washington 32. Guys, I thought this was a comfy lock for Washington. I thought they were the hotter team. They were coming in. Didn't matter that they were on the road. They had the offense that was going to be able to put up all the points. And I thought... Their defense was going to be ha- be able to handle DTR. That did not happen. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson eviscerated the Huskies. Secondary, he looked like a dark horse Heisman contender, quite honestly. That juke move that he pulled at the very end of the game where he kind of stepped back uh, at the goal line and the Washington defenders ran into that each other. That was disgusting. Crumpled on the ground. I mean, that truly was a cold, cold move. He also hurdled a defender en route to a touchdown. Trey, you were banging this drum off off the top of the the creation of the podcast in the preseason. UCLA, they're looking like a championship contender. I almost picked them as one of my darlings this year, but I had Washington State already in the Pac-12, and I didn't want two Pac-12 teams. But yeah, guys, I mean, they had an extremely soft schedule, one that would make Michigan think that it's soft uh, to start the year. But they passed their first test, and they have another huge one against Utah this week. I'm really excited to see how far the Bruins can go. I, DTR and Zach Chardonnay, good luck stopping that. We talked about Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez. I think DTR and Zach Chardonnay are just as good of a one-two punch. When that read option game is working, it is almost impossible to stop. Yeah, and it's certainly clicking on all cylinders. We might have been overhyping Washington a little bit here. You know, Maybe that win against Michigan State wasn't as good as we thought it was, but still a pretty good squad. Um, you know, huge win for UCLA. And I do think that that game against Utah is going to be, you know, pretty critical for seeing how this season plays out. That's another one of those prove it games I think we're going to have to talk about off the start of the next pod. So excited to see where that one goes. Well, it's nice to have some competitive games, some championship caliber games being played in the Pac-12 again. USC yeah. looks very good. They they beat uh, Arizona State rather handedly last night. So listen, the, the, the Los Angeles TV market, um, as, as folks have joked, there's not a lot of people in the stands for these games, but if they keep winning, the media rights will certainly pay off in spades. So uh, good for the Pac-12, uh, showing a little bit of, of uh, fight here, even though I guess their two most impressive teams are also getting ready to leave the Pac-12. Um, but that's a problem for another yeah, day. Yeah, that's a big 10 country, Mitch. <laughs> that's, that's right. That is, that's the cornfields of Southern California <laughs> to you, sir. Uh, let's wrap this podcast up with a couple of group of five results, namely Tulane beats Houston at home. Guys, we were, I, I was, I was, you guys can, can claim as much of this uh, wrong prediction as you would like. I had Houston as a dark horse uh, playoff contender. They are no longer 
a dark horse nor a playoff contender. They lose the green. They're a dark horse bowl contender at this yeah. point. <laughs> Seriously. 27-24 the final there. Gosh, at home too. I mean, Houston just is not – they're not clicking. The defense is not very good. The offense is streaky. Sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. It's clear that Clayton Toon needs somebody else other than Tank Dell to help run this offense, and he's not getting it right now. Yeah, I jumped ship on Houston a little bit early as far as when you guys jumped ship. I picked Tulane in this game, and obviously that came out a little bit better than I thought it was going to. I got a little nervous there for a little bit, but they ended up holding it out. Look, Houston's not good. Tulane's a decent squad. That's all it comes down to. Houston has a lot of issues, and it's kind of shocking based on what we thought they were going to be on the front of the season. And thank God we got to see a pitcher take some injury warm-up tosses and Aaron Judge get intentionally walked, I believe. Seriously, when, uh, yeah, Lane was crazy. Was uh, a tying drive there in the fourth quarter. That's huge. I, I, think, I think most of baseball fandom unites against the New York Yankees, but now you've got America united against the New York Yankees <laughs> to the point where the vast majority of people don't want him to break the record because it is – just so, so bad that ESPN, which is, again, owned by a New York Yankee fan, they are force-feeding us a record that doesn't matter. It's the seventh most home runs in a season. Is it impressive? For sure. I'm a baseball fan. I think that is very impressive to see what Aaron Judge is doing. But to subject the rest of the country who is watching a sporting event that is in no way related to what's happening in the Bronx, come on, guys, what on earth are we doing? Hey, if we were going to keep talking about seventh best, we would throw it to the Oklahoma Sooners every week because that's about where they are in their conference right now. So I, I don't want to hear anything about it. Okay, no more Aaron Judge. Let's just let him hit like 50 home runs in the next couple of days against the Rangers, and we'll be done with this. Yeah, I'm sure he will too. Uh, Air Force beats Navy 13-10. to 10. That game a lot closer than what we originally thought. It seems like the Flyboys, they're – their offense that was so explosive last year is taking a step back, and that's just what tends to happen at service academies because you don't have the traditional recruitment. You lose a lot of guys every single year. Um, you know, Air Force, not uh, not the world beater that they were a season ago, but still a good game. Glad to see Navy got up for this one, competed. And also, shout-out to James Madison, Coastal Carolina, and UNLV. James Madison, 4-0 and in their first year as an FBS program. Now, again, as we talked about in the season previews, Thanks to the one of the stupidest NCAA rules that exists, they are ineligible for the postseason because of the quote-unquote transitioning rule. They are also ineligible to compete for a conference crown. So you could legitimately see James Madison go undefeated or lose one game and have to sit at home after their 12th game of the season, which is just a cry and shame. Coastal 5-0, and UNLV 4-1. and Guys, any final thoughts on those teams? If James Madison goes undefeated, they should absolutely claim a national championship just like ucf did a couple years ago just claim it why not who's gonna take it away from you they didn't let you play the game might as well i mean but yeah i I just threw unlv in there on the dock because i just wanted to shout out one of the quietest amazing turnaround stories everybody's focused on kansas and syracuse and some of these other non-traditionally good schools that are off to great starts unlv has been putrid for dang near two decades. Yeah. And they're off to a four and one start and probably going to go to a bowl game. So did they lose to Howard a couple of years ago? Yeah. They, they routinely lost to FCS schools um, over the past decade. So just wanted to shout that out. They're doing a great job out there in the desert. Why not? They play inside uh, what is it? Reliant stadium, the, the Las Vegas Raiders new stadium. It's cool. 
cool venue for them. I wish they played, you know, obviously in a college stadium, but uh, cool experience for those guys. And they're four and one and have things rolling. Um, just to very quickly mention the ledger results, uh, we had good, okay, and not so good in the ledger. Uh, I went four and oh this last week. Garrett went oh and four. Trey, of course, mathematically had to go two and two. Um, we don't have to talk about it. It's fine. <laughs> Garrett's Garrett's on to week six. Uh, listen, we're on I, the Cincinnati. It's it, it's nice to see that some of my statistical research pays off. Obviously, I have no control over the games that, that you guys give me, so I'm just as shocked as you are uh, that I went four and zero. But uh, you know, fun fun to to hang that on the mantle. Go four and zero in a week in the ledger. I well, we'll see at the end of the season. I'm probably due for an zero and four. It wouldn't it just be ironic if we all ended up with the exact same record at the end of the year i mean that's kind of what it feels like we're trending towards yeah i was gonna say i think we're probably trending towards that and we might have to analyze the validity (laughs) of this segment but you know (laughs) we'll we'll see we'll see we'll tinker we'll tinker all right i think it's terrible yeah (laughs) i'm on four so i'm just gonna throw a fit garrett's voting it out already All right, guys. Well, that will do it for our week five recap. Another fun slate of college football. We have a bunch of rivalry games coming up next week as we talked about the Red River rivalry. That and uh, maybe maybe a a, a budding rivalry between two future Big 12 contenders in Kansas and TCU. That's on the docket for next week as well. Cannot wait to get into all of that in our week six preview. Uh, But thank you guys again for for listening to for continuing to support this show. The numbers continue to grow each and every week, and it is all thanks to the support from listeners like you. So once again, head on over to at3techpod on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a follow and leave a rating for the show on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are in all the major locations. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 